one of our cops gets in touch and says, I know exactly who that is. We stopped him last week. We've now checked him out. He is a sex offender. So you can imagine how I felt when I was told that. You go from maybe it's nothing to, whoa, hold on a minute. What's the situation here? Hi, I'm Yardley. This is Detective Dan. Hey there. And his identical twin brother, Detective Dave. Hello. And this is Small Town Dicks. You'll hear detectives from small towns around the world discuss their most memorable cases. We cover the intimate details of what went wrong and what went right. As these dedicated men and women search for justice and crack the case. Names and certain details have been changed to protect the privacy of the victims and their families. So please join us in maintaining their anonymity out of respect for what they've been through. Thank Thank you. you. Today on Small Town Dicks, we have the usual suspects. This is a good day. We have Detective Dan. Hello there. Hello there. And we have Detective Dave. Hello, team. Good to be back. (laughs) Hello, you. It's always good to have you. (laughs) And Small Town Fam, we are so thrilled to welcome a new guest to the podcast, retired Superintendent Sean. Hi, everybody. Good to see you all. Ah, and as you can hear, possibly, Sean is joining us from Scotland. Thank you so much for sitting down with us today. No, thank you. It's an honor. Ah, so exciting. So, Sean, before we get into the case that you've brought to us today, will you give us a little bit of the lay of the land, sort of what your department was like when you were there and your jurisdiction? Yeah, of course. In this story, I'm going to take you back to 2010. So in 2010, I was Detective Chief Inspector, and I was working in a city in Scotland called Dundee. Dundee is the largest city in Tayside. Tayside Police was the name of the organisation that I was part of at that time. Tayside had about 1,100 officers, which policed quite a large geographical area. So Tayside covers three areas. Perth and Kinross is a sort of local authority area. Angus, which is a coastal region. And then Dundee City. And like I say, Dundee was the largest city there. Dundee's one of these places that, although it's a city, everybody knows everybody else. You're never too far away from people that you've seen before, etc., etc. So it's a very close-knit city. Dundee, it's an old city. It was founded on what they called Jam, Jute and Journalism. So they had jam factories, they had factories that made jute, i.e. hessian, that they made bags and so on from, and journalism. And when you say jam, are you talking like strawberry jam, that kind of jam? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) I'm talking about strawberry jam, I'm talking about marmalade, that's exactly what we're talking about. As I'm talking, you're probably thinking, jute, don't really use jute now, we don't, jam's not such a big thing. (laughs) And journalism has spread across the world. So Dundee has suffered as a result of that because a lot of the industries that it previously relied on have now stopped functioning and it's had to find a new approach. And one of the things that Dundee has found was the gaming sector. So Dundee has two universities, 
And both of those universities have got a big number of students who learn how to code and to set up games. And so gaming has become a really big part in Dundee. So Dundee's population has changed as a result. So you've got quite a lot of young people, students, all working in Dundee. And it's quite a vibrant, what we would call the nighttime economy. So the bars, the restaurants, the clubs. So from a policing point of view, quite a challenge, you know, because everybody's out, everybody's having a good time. Some people have more of a good time than others and they end up falling out with each other, as we say. So presented a lot of challenges. In my role as DCI, as we would call it, Detective Chief Inspector, my responsibility was serious crime. So any serious crime that happened in Dundee, I had three detective inspectors and I had about 30 detectives working for me. Because of the makeup of the city, Dundee has what we, I don't know if you use this term in the US, but we talk about areas of multiple deprivation. No. So areas where people don't have jobs or they have low paid jobs, the housing that they are in is either provided by the authority or a housing association. Not a lot of home ownership. There's not a lot of prospects for them in these areas. That leads to issues with drug taking, using controlled drugs, heroin, ecstasy. So you had a population that suffered a lot, didn't have a lot of money, mixing with another population who were young, who were making lots of money, who were out. And because it's a small city, you've got a real mix of cultures and a real mix of people. And also to throw into the mix... Dundee isn't far away from St Andrews. Now, I don't know if we have any people that follow the British royal family. Sure, me. I do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, you'll know then that Will and Kate met when they were students at St Andrews University. That's right. And St Andrews, lovely town though it is, doesn't have much going on at night. So some of the students would come across to Dundee because that's where the nightclubs were and so on. Thankfully, Will and Kate were not involved in this story. That's a good, good thing. (laughs) But you are getting students and so on coming across from other parts of the country into Dundee. So that's the kind of area that we're working in. At the time that this case happened, it's the end of February in Scotland, which is cold. The weather was particularly bad. And another thing to sort of feature into the equation was our police annual leave ran from start of March through to the end of February. That was your calendar year. And people like me wouldn't use their full quota of annual leave. And there would be a pressure to try and use as much of your leave as you can before the end of the year. Do they take it away from you if you don't use it? You could roll it over But then all that created was that was just more leaf to use the following year. And so you just got into that spiral and eventually you just never took it. And it was one of those things that when you were in charge, you were always encouraging your team to take their leave so that they would get their rest. And then they would look at you and go, well, wait a minute, why aren't you taking yours if you're telling us to take ours? So you kind of had to make sure that you took your leave. So I was just embarked on a week's leave just to use up some time because, trust me, in Scotland, in the winter, there ain't much to do with your leave, but it was (laughs) going to be a week off. I was going to be at home looking after the kids. So I went off on leave on Friday, and we had an incident that came on on the Friday night where 
three boys tried to break into this house in a small village just outside Dundee. And they were disturbed trying to break into the house and they ran off. Police in pursuit. They caught up with two of them, but the third one managed to run away. But we knew who he was. He was known to us, 16 years of age, so there had been a general search for him to try and track him down and arrest him. As you would expect with these things, they would go and knock on doors and try and go around all his associates to find him, and everybody's gone, oh no, we haven't seen him. Of course, we think, well, they're saying they haven't seen him, but he's going to be around there somewhere. So they've been searching and searching. And then come Sunday, there's a body discovered in a ditch about half a mile away from the scene of this break-in. And lo and behold, this young man had run off, gone to hide, had either tripped, fallen, banged his head, but because it's so cold, hypothermia kicked in and he sadly died in the ditch. So we had team of detectives then working on this death and trying to piece everything together and make sure that we'd done everything that we could have done and that there was no foul play in relation to the death. That was started off on the Sunday. So although I was off and thinking, DI's got that, we've got a team on it, it'll be fine. Then at the same time as that, a 14-year-old girl goes missing. And this 14-year-old girl had a history of problems with her family. She was constantly going missing and just was a troubled young woman. And of course, it was a major concern to us because she always found herself in risky situations. When she went away, we would always have to intervene to get her back. She couldn't assimilate risk and couldn't manage herself. We knew that when she was missing, she was going to be in danger. So the DI that was in charge, detective inspector that was in charge of child protection, he had two or three detectives working on that. So we had those two incidents running on. And then on Sunday evening, a call comes in from the mother of Mary McLaren. Now, Mary McLaren was a 34-year-old mother of three. She lived with her family and her partner. And Mary was the type of woman that would go out regularly with her sister. They would go to local bars and they would end up at the clubs and she would have a few drinks and she just enjoyed being out and socialising and dancing and just having a good time. Now, Mary, when she went out, occasionally didn't come back that night and would either stay at her sister's or stay at a friend's or whatever. So she went out on Thursday night and when she didn't come back on the Friday Her family thought, that's okay, it's Mary, she'll be back soon. She didn't come back on the Saturday. And they said, oh, that's not like Mary. Mary would normally be back within 24 hours. So come Sunday, her mother thinks, no, this is not like Mary. We are concerned now. So gets in touch with us to say our daughter is missing. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com So, at that point, I'm not involved in the detail of this missing person report, and it's a missing person. We don't have any indication that any foul play. We know that Mary was out for the night. We know that she went to a local nightclub called Fat Sam's, and we also knew that when she came out of the nightclub with her sister, her sister was involved in a disturbance outside the nightclub, and her sister was arrested. What's her sister's name? Her sister's name is Michelle. So Mary was then apart from her sister, and at that point, nobody knows where Mary went. So those were the circumstances that we had at that time. But it's a missing person report. Now, if you're going to ask the public if they remember seeing a person, you want certain cues. You want to be able to describe that person to the media and ask people if they've seen her. Now, Mary was perfect for us as a police organisation to describe, and people should remember her, and I'll tell you why. She went to a pub called the Gager Bar, and the Gager Bar that night was doing a karaoke. And through the karaoke, they had various animations up. One of the animations was an inflatable toy and the inflatable toy was called Wicked Willy. Now, I don't know if you have Wicked Willy in the US. No, what's that? Basically, it's an inflatable penis with a face on it. Oh. So picture a three-foot-high, blow-up penis with a smiling face on the front of it. Looks like Dan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a number of people that I work with that it looked like as well. (laughs) (laughs) So when you say there are animations behind you when you're singing karaoke, I'm thinking on a screen. No. Are you saying these are actual objects? Yeah, these are objects, like blow-up objects. Got it. There was Wicked Willy, there was like palm trees, there was blow-up flamingos, just all sorts of nonsense. I'm picturing somebody leaving the carnival with a huge stuffed teddy bear. That kind of thing, but just picture it as a blow-up penis. That's what you've got. Right. <laughs> so there was this blow-up toy called Wicked Willie at the Gager Bar. And Mary decided that it would be a great idea when her and Michelle were going to Fat Sam's that she took Wicked Willie with her. So she walks from the Gager Bar, which is about half a mile to Fat Sam's. And Mary had a problem with her hip, so she had a limp. So you have a woman with a limp 
carrying a blow-up penis, goes missing in Dundee. I feel like that would be hard to miss. Yeah. That's pretty good for a starter in terms of trying to get the public to actually say, did you see Mary when she left the club? Because she still had this blow-up penis when she left the club. So they had kicked off the missing person inquiry. That was done by a uniform team. So beat cops who work in that area start talking to people who were with Mary at the time, go to the club, see if anybody at the club can remember her. And this runs on for Monday into Tuesday and they manage to look at the club CCTV and they pick out Mary with a man. We don't know who this man is, but we notice that Mary and Michelle are both dancing with this man. So they go and they speak to Michelle. Now, Michelle isn't happy with the police, doesn't really like the police that much anyway, and likes us even less because she'd been arrested that night at the club. Because she caused a disturbance outside the club. Exactly. Michelle has been involved with police inquiries before, and we had dealt with Michelle on a number of occasions, and she's blaming the police for the fact that her sister went missing because if the police hadn't arrested her, then she would have looked after her sister and her sister would never have gone missing. So it was the police's fault as far as she was concerned. So that was really quite difficult. However, Michelle did confirm that they had spoken to this guy in the nightclub and she described him as a bit of a pest, but they had both left with him out of the nightclub and then Michelle had been arrested, but she didn't know what happened to her sister. So Fat Sam's is the biggest nightclub in Dundee. And on a Thursday night is the place to go. And it's the place to go for everybody. So it doesn't matter if you come from a sort of rundown area of Dundee or you come from the best house on the other side of Dundee, you all gravitate towards Fat Sam's nightclub. And we had a group of students from St Andrews University who'd also gravitated towards the nightclub as well. And these students had heard the appeals that we'd been putting out looking for Mary, and they had come forward because they'd been in the club and they'd been taking pictures, and this guy had approached them. Oh, this past of a fellow? Yeah. So what we get from the St Andrews University students is that he was smelly, he wasn't well-dressed, he was dishevelled. We told him to go away. He spoke with an Irish accent and... His chat-up lines and so on were not good. His pick-up lines, as we would say. Yeah, well, we in Scotland, we call it patter. So his patter was not good. And basically, he was walking up to them and just going, dance. And they would just turn around and walk away. (laughs) Now, one of our cops in Angus gets in touch and says, I know exactly who that is. That is Patrick Ray. We stopped him last week in a van for a road traffic offence. We've now checked him out and it turns out he is a sex offender from Ireland. So you can imagine how I felt when I was told that. You go from maybe it's nothing to, whoa, hold on a minute, what's the situation here? So I know that you've spoken to Roddy before. Yes, we love Roddy. He gave us two cases for season eight. Roddy is great. Roddy was my boss. Oh. Roddy was detective chief superintendent at that time. So he was my boss. And Roddy had 
various connections in Ireland. So I get on the phone to Roddy. I says, Roddy, can you speak to your guys in Ireland? Run this name by them and find out what you can. So Roddy gets on the phone to one of his friends who does a bit of work and goes, oh yeah, here's the situation. Turns out Patrick Ray had been charged with a serious sexual assault and rape, was due to go to court in 2009, hadn't gone to court, skipped out, and there was a warrant for his arrest in Ireland. But even at that, we didn't have an enforceable warrant for Patrick Ray in Scotland. And Patrick Ray had been stopped by various Scottish police forces since he had gone on the run. Patrick would do a lot of gardening work, so he would constantly be going around doing work in people's gardens and all of that kind of thing. So he was very itinerant in terms of his activity because he would just go wherever the work was. When the Scottish police stop Patrick Ray for these traffic offences, are they aware that he has a warrant? They just can't execute it? No. So that information doesn't even cross the border? No, that information's not on our system. Okay. So... We didn't know that there was a warrant, but we then became aware that there was a warrant. And it explains why Patrick would leave the country. Absolutely. He knows this is hanging over his head and that he's probably going to prison. And so he's never going back to Ireland by choice, probably. You're exactly right. The only way that we could ever have done anything with it is if Ireland had applied for a European arrest warrant. But at that time, to be fair they had no indication that he had gone to Scotland. They just knew he hadn't turned up at the court and he could have just been lying low somewhere in Ireland. So we had him identified in terms of this looks very like the guy, but we still hadn't found Mary. Mary was still missing. So I've still got the death of the teenage boy in the ditch being investigated. I've still got a missing 14-year-old girl And this is now priority here. We're going to have to thin out these other teams because we need to form a team to deal with Patrick. So we pull together a team. We get the detectives working on it. And one of the first actions is go and find Patrick Ray. We need to bring him in to at least look at the pictures, look at him and satisfy ourselves that, yes, this is the man that we're looking for. And thankfully, we managed to locate him quite quickly. And he came in voluntarily. And I'm going, yeah, that's our man. That's him. That's the man that's left the nightclub with Mary. So when you see him in person, you go, that's the guy on all these CCTV images. Absolutely. Quite clearly the same guy. In fact, he's still wearing the same jacket. So a couple of detectives are sitting talking to Patrick Ray as part of a missing person inquiry, and they're trying to establish from Patrick, were you in Fat Sam's nightclub? Yeah, I was in Fat Sam's nightclub. Did you talk to these women? Yes, I spoke to these women. Do you remember their names? Well, not really. I think one was called Mary. I'm not sure what the other one was called. So he's putting himself in the club. He's putting himself with Michelle and Mary. And then they're going, right, okay, so when you left, who did you leave with? Oh, no, no. I just left alone. I saw there was some kind of disturbance, so I just walked away. I don't know what happened then. I just walked away. Did you have any contact with Mary? Well, yeah, I danced with her. We were together in the club. But when I left, I wasn't interested. I just wanted to go. And I'm looking at him going... We can't let you away because I don't even know if Mary's alive or dead at this time and I don't know if he's got her held somewhere or whatever. I just don't know. But I have no evidence. We have no indication of foul play at this point. We just know that we've got a sex offender 
left the nightclub with Mary and she's nowhere to be seen. We're thinking the worst, but we've no evidence. So what am I going to do? I can't let this guy go and just disappear into the sunset because he's already fled once. So if he gets a sniff that we think he's responsible, he's just going to disappear. While all this is going on, you have your intelligence teams doing intelligence profiles of individuals. So I'm sitting with an intelligence profile of Patrick Ray from the systems that we've got in Scotland. And Roddy's by this time sitting in my office and the two of us are looking at this going, we can't let this guy go. How are we going to keep him? What are we going to do? We're probably going to have to put surveillance on him. We're probably going to have to follow him and just see where he goes and what he does. So we bring in the detective inspector in charge of the surveillance unit and I hand him the intelligence profile and says, look, can you have a look at this? See what you can pull together because we can't keep this guy for much longer. By this time, he'd been with us for about three or four hours and we can't keep him forever. He's here voluntarily with nothing. So the detective inspector goes away and 10 minutes later he comes back and says, well, why don't we just arrest him for this theft? I'm going, what theft? What are you talking about? Theft. And on our intelligence profile, there was a crime noted in Greenock, which is the other coast of Scotland, so hundreds of miles away from us, but it's just as you come from Ireland into Scotland, it's one of the ports that you can come into. Now, Patrick Gray appears to have got um, friendly with a woman in Greenock and has been staying with this woman in Greenock for a few days, and he stole her mother's bracelet. And her mother reported that Patrick had stolen this bracelet, but he'd never caught up with him. So... Straight on the phone to Greenock and got Roddy to make the call. It's always better when it's a chief superintendent <laughs> that makes the call. So got Roddy to make the call. Says, Roddy, try and get them to get a grip of this and see if they can do something with it. He speaks to a, a DI in Greenock who was brilliant. He just went, leave it with us, boys. Leave it with us. We'll sort this out. And they managed to get enough for a case. So they get in touch with us to say, wait, there's enough to arrest him. You can arrest him, bring him through to Greenock and we'll put him to court the next day. So that's exactly what we did. We got two of our finest detectives, got Patrick into the back of a car, and got him through to Greenock. So Patrick was arrested for that. He went to court, and the court were able to remand him, so keep him in custody for seven days. So we had him in custody for seven days. So we were in a better position. We were kind of, at least we've got him but we still didn't have Mary. So we still had a potential murder, but we don't know. Hey folks, Detective Dave here. Let me tell you about Simply Safe, the home security system that I trust to keep my family safe. I depend on Simply Safe to provide me and my loved ones with 360 degree coverage of my property and valuables. I love the variety of monitoring sensors available with Simply Safe Home Security. You get a glass break sensor, which in my experience is one of the most effective tools of detecting a break-in. In addition, Simply Safe offers motion sensors, entry sensors, sirens, and flood and fire detection. With Simply Safe Home Security, I have the flexibility to use keypads at multiple entries at my house. This option is especially important to me and my family. I can provide access to people I trust and limit having multiple keys outside of my control, all at the push of a button via the Simply Safe app. It comes with a variety of cameras for indoors and outdoors. 
And best of all, Simply Safe is backed by 24/7 professional monitoring for less than $1 a day. It gives me peace of mind knowing I can leave the house, I can leave town, I can even leave the country, and I know my home is Simply Safe. The mobile app integration makes it so easy to make sure everything's in place in real time. I check it every day when I'm away from home. Simply Safe is the best. U.S. News and World Report named Simply Safe Best Home Security Systems 2024. And Newsweek ranked it Best Customer Service in Home Security. With Simply Safe, there are no contracts. And if you're not happy with the service or the product, they have a 60 day money back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind. We want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/smalltown. That's simplysafe.com/smalltown. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, Small Town Fam, it's Yardley. I want to talk about Pros. Pros is the custom hair and skin beauty brand where you get on their website, answer a bunch of questions about where you live and how old you are, what kind of hair you have, what kind of hair you want to have. And then, from millions of possible formulas, they create a formula just for you. So I'm lucky I have a lot of hair. Most days, my hair is the boss of me. So I need shampoo and conditioner that gets my hair to calm down a little bit. So I've been using Pros for a while, and one of my favorite things about it is you can choose your scent. They have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and then adjusts the formula. Also, Pros is a certified B Corp. It's cruelty-free, and it's the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. So it's not only better for you, it's better for the planet. So, small town fam, Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash town. That's right. You get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash town. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash town. Do it. Hey, small town fam, it's Yardley. It's gonna be summer soon, so the potential for stinky pits is imminent. That's why I really love Lumi. I'm obsessed with their sweat control, cream deodorant. I think I've said this so many times, but honest to God, I never thought I'd use a cream deodorant because they're sloppy and gloppy and sticky and bleh. But Lumi isn't any of those things. It dries quickly, it's never sticky, and it doesn't leave any white streaks on my dark clothing. So all of those things are a win for me. If you're not familiar with Lumi, let me tell you a few things. Six years ago, an OBGYN invented her game-changing whole body deodorant, and now it has over 300,000 five-star reviews from people like me. Lumi is baking soda-free, paraben-free, and pH balanced, so it's safe for your pits and your bits, which means you can use it below the belt. They have a lovely variety of fresh, bright scents like clean tangerine, my favorite, lavender sage, or toasted coconut. And the secret to Lumi's success is it's formulated and powered by mandelic acid. That's how it stops odor before it starts. 
So, Small Town Fam, Lumi's Starter Pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, my fave, and two free products of your choice, like mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. And on top of that, as a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code, which is small town. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that equals over 40% off the starter pack. So use code small town for 15% off your first purchase at lumideodorant.com. That's code small town at L-U-M-E deodorant.com. Do it. So all of this is rumbling on, and of course media in Dundee have latched onto this because the Dundee public were so interested in the fact that Mary was missing. So the initial media blitz on Mary being missing, would that have been difficult for anybody in the area to avoid the coverage? It would have been, because it was on every billboard outside every newsagent. And her picture was on the front of newspapers and so on. So very difficult to avoid. And you have all these students from outside the area. You have, I'm sure, citizens from Dundee. They're contacting you guys saying, oh, yeah, I remember that person with that inflatable toy. And Patrick, one would think if you're not involved in some you know, sinister activity that you would come forward and say, actually, I left with that person, and here's the last place I saw them if you're trying to be helpful. Mm-hmm. During this interview, your detectives pretty quickly determined that Patrick's lying to us, and I'm sure you guys had that aha moment when he's like, no, I didn't leave with her. I left by myself. If you're going to lie about the little things, you're never going to be honest about the big things. So he knows that the minute he's walking away from that bar and he's the last person with Mary, that he's now made himself suspect number one. You're absolutely right. So as we're working on this, two or three things happen. Firstly, once Patrick Ray's arrested, we obviously don't tell the media about that bit because we can't link him at that point. But what we do want to do is try and ramp up the public knowledge of it. We want to try and get as much information as we can because we're still looking for Mary. Now, we brief our media all the time in terms of here's what we're looking at, here's what we're dealing with. Be great if you could not mention this at this time, but we're telling you because we don't want you to stumble across it and then put it out. So we had briefed the media about the background of this and we told them that, look, Michelle, she's really stressed at this time, so it'd be better if you kept away from Michelle because... The whole family are really struggling to get to grips with us. Our local news broadcast live from Michelle's house the following day for our six o'clock in the evening news, which is our prime time news slot. And Michelle, of course, really upset, still upset with the police, blames the officers that arrested her for the fact that her sister is missing. So I had two or three cops who are sitting at home with their families, watching this on the telly and thinking, that's not what happened, that's not how it went, but then feeling really, really bad and quite badly affected by it all. 
So in the background then, we're supporting these officers to say, look, no, you did exactly the right thing. You were dealing with something completely different at that time, and it wasn't your actions that have contributed to this. It was Michelle that got arrested for something that Michelle did, not for something that you did. Right. It also bears mentioning, though, that even as Michelle got herself arrested that night, it doesn't mean that she's responsible for what happened to Mary either. Maybe if Michelle hadn't been arrested, she would have had the same fate that Mary had. It's all just terribly tragic. Absolutely. And it's a give and take between law enforcement and the media. They want all this information, and you have to worry about them coming across information a different way and then releasing it, and that's harmful to your case because you want to protect specific details that only the suspect would know about. So the minute you say, I need this to be off the record, or I need you to hold on to this for a few days before you release it, and they betray that... I've had those relationships with people in the media, and I don't speak to them ever again because you just blew up my case. You didn't keep the big picture in mind. Absolutely right. Um, So in the background, I have got some people who have latched on to what Michelle has said and are trying to run an anti-police campaign in Dundee saying that the police are responsible for Mary being missing. So we're having to work with the community to try and get our message out You don't want to be critical of the family because the family otherwise were really good, working well with us, understood what we were trying to do. But you had these agitators outside the family that were trying to make political capital out of the fact that they reckoned that the police had some way been responsible for Mary going missing, which was not true. So that was going on. We then had one of the biggest searches that we'd ever had in Tayside. I told you that we had maybe about 1,100 officers. I had 300 officers doing searches, looking for Mary. We're searching everywhere. And we'd done loads more CCTV work, and we got a bit of a break. So we'd managed to track Patrick and Mary walking away from the club through a few streets in Dundee, and then we'd lost them because we didn't have any cameras. However, we then, two hours later, pick up Patrick going in to a petrol station, a 24-hour petrol station, and buying some candy and then coming out of the petrol station. So we managed to speak to the attendant who was working in the petrol station at the time that Patrick went in, and he remembered them because he said Patrick's clothes were muddy, it looked like there was maybe some blood on his jeans, and this was like four in the morning, so it was mainly people coming out of the club, so they're all dressed in their club finery, and then this guy turns up. He's a bit dishevelled, and he speaks with an Irish accent, and this is Dundee in the middle of February. So he's stuck out. So we've got Patrick appearing from a totally different part of Dundee to where the nightclub was in the direction that they had walked away in. And we also had two cops who were attending a call about the time that Mary goes missing, that she's caught on CCTV. And these two cops see Mary and Patrick at a roundabout. In Dundee, they call them circles, so a sort of a junction. And one of the cops says, we saw Patrick and Mary at that junction and just happened to notice, because, of course, Wicked Willie, they make a comment, look at that, (laughs) and on they go. But we were only able to speak to one of the cops 
because the other cop, and you can make this stuff up, the other cop was going in for an operation and she was under sedation. The cop that we could speak to had said, it's here. And this junction that she points out is only about 200 yards from the service station. Of course, we then see Patrick on CCTV, so it all makes sense. So the search is sort of centred around this area. We're knocking on doors, we're going into sheds, we're everywhere. And still, we haven't found Mary. Patrick's been locked up three or four days, and we only have him for a week. So we're in the middle of the next week. And we do another interview with Patrick when he's in custody to say, well, we've now got a picture of you on CCTV coming out of the club and walking away with Mary. All right, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've forgotten about that. Yeah, we did walk away. But then, you know, she got sick. She was throwing up because of the amount of drink that she'd had. So I just walked away and left her. And then so we said, well, you turned up at the service station when you had mud on your jeans. What was that? I got lost. I don't know Dundee. So I go for a walk, find myself in the middle of a park, end up falling down, I get mud all over myself, and I cut my hand and rub my hand on my jeans, and he just changes the story to fit the circumstances. So we're getting no further forward. And then we get a break. The other cop comes out of her surgery, recovers, and we send two detectives in to go and speak to her to just confirm sighting of Mary. And this cop was a Dundee cop, so she was born and bred in Dundee. She knows Dundee well. She says, oh, it wasn't there. It was the one further up. It was the next junction that we saw them. Significant because our search was going away from that junction, not towards it. So myself and the DI that I was working with go for a walk and we go round the corner to the correct junction. And it's quite a big roundabout. In the middle of the junction, you've got a planted area. And then to the side of the junction, you've got this big planted area with a high wall. There's ivy running down the side of the wall. There's trees, there's bushes. It's sort of quite a dense area. So we think, right, okay, we need to move the search this way. So get a search team in, and I go back to the office. And about two in the afternoon, I get a call. That's a body being found in this dense area near to this junction. The searcher had been on his hands and knees and had been crawling on his hands and knees searching along because this place was so densely overgrown. And he'd reached out and he could feel her feet. I told you there was a high wall and there was ivy coming down the side of the wall. What had happened was Patrick had pulled the ivy down from the wall and used the ivy to cover the body almost like a quilt of ivy over the top of the body. And it was only the fact that he hadn't managed to cover her feet that led the searcher to be able to find Mary. When he pulls the ivy off the wall, does it, is there not now a negative space where ivy used to be? No, because the wall wasn't completely covered. So you had patches of ivy. Got it. Based on the CCTV, the police officers who see him at the roundabout and the attendant at the petrol station, you've now shrunk that window of time where Mary's alive and then she's not seen with Patrick anymore. And Patrick's going to have to explain that. Yeah. So this is where CCTV becomes quite important as well. The CCTV in this was a massive piece of the jigsaw, if you like. 
because of the CCTV both in the nightclub and the city centre, we could piece Mary's movements for a significant amount of time. However, we had two gaps. A gap of 20 minutes in the club and then we lose Mary before she gets to the point that she's found. So it's about 50 yards from the point where she's found to the last CCTV camera. And so we have a series of interviews with Patrick and he now knows that we've found the body. So we said that there will be a whole load of forensic tests being done. We will be taking samples from Mary's body and we will be comparing them against his DNA. So are we likely to find your DNA on Mary's body? And Patrick's response to that was, yeah, actually, I didn't actually tell you this at the time, but I had sex with her in the nightclub. So we're going, say that again? We had sex in the nightclub. I should have mentioned that before. It's probably important. But we had sex in the nightclub. Right, okay. This is nonsense. So dispatch a couple of detectives down to the nightclub and say, look, I know that we can't see them for 20 minutes because there are blank spots that the cameras don't cover. But he's saying that he's had sex with her in the nightclub. Is that likely? Does that happen? We're expecting no. That's not what we get. We get, well, you know, it's a nightclub. These things sometimes happen. Oh, my God. There's dark spots, and we will occasionally find there are people enjoying each other's company at various points in the nightclub. So we couldn't rule it out. However, that then starts to rubbish his claims because the pathology indicated that Mary had been raped she had been stabbed, she had been strangled, clothing had been removed. Horrific, absolutely horrific. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. So, Sean, the evidence of rape combined with Patrick's DNA on Mary helps prove that he didn't just have consensual sex with Mary at the club, like he claimed. Exactly. And then also, you clearly see Patrick leaving the club with Mary on CCTV. So everything is pointing to Patrick at this point. But you find Mary in this little park. How are you able to prove that Patrick was in the park where Mary was killed? We got a scientist who did pollen matching. So they would look at the pollens and the spores from plants and be able to match the pollen spores and soil to particular areas. And because we'd managed to get Patrick arrested, we had all his clothing, we had his shoes. So they recover 
pollen and spores and so on from his shoes, they then get the samples from the scene and they start to match the pollen on his shoes to the pollen that they recover from the scene. And the scientist said to me, he says, you know what would be really helpful is if we actually had a plan of the planting within this particular area. So it's the local authority that look after it all. So send a couple of detectives to the local authority, to the parks department, to say, this area here, you wouldn't happen to have a planting map of it. And the guy that they spoke to went, you're not going to believe this. I kept it because that was the first area that I ever worked on. And he produces a plan of the planting regime for that particular area. I was gobsmacked. It was fantastic because it allowed the scientists to plot where the various pollens had come from, from the plants. So you could see how they had gone into the area, how they come out of the area, the plants that Patrick had walked on and brushed past and become attached to him, they were able to match it to the planting regime within that particular area. So that became really, really compelling. As you were detailing this examination of the plants and the spores and the pollens, those are like fingerprints for a plant. That kind of thoroughness and detailed investigation is so compelling to juries. Yeah. Just based on the CCTV, Patrick's going to have a hard time explaining how Mary is dead and he had nothing to do with it. But then you put the scientific evidence on top of it. That's brilliant detective work. Yeah, and it allows the jury to visualize it because you're able to show the jury the CCTV right from the point that Mary leaves the pub to go to the nightclub so you can see a woman that's having a good time with her sister, having a laugh, going into the club, just looking to have a good night and a dance and just enjoy herself. And you can see them dancing with him in the club, coming out, CCTV tracking the pair of them, walking away to about 50 yards from where she is found, and then being able to show through the pollen and the spores that the murder could only have happened at this point because it's only at this point that all of these plants are together in one place and being able to pick out the various pollens and spores from that and then linking that back to Patrick in terms of his DNA. There's loads of, as you would expect, loads of his DNA on Mary's body and the fact that we could show that he had been in that bit of ground because all the spores are on his shoes and on his trousers and his jacket. So we link him to the scene we link him to Mary through the DNA, and then we have pictures of them together the whole time. But also really importantly, as a context for it all when you're in the jury, we have so many witnesses who are either speaking about Patrick's behaviour in the club, i.e. he was not a nice guy, not many of the women wanted to be anywhere near him, and then the jury could really get a picture of this woman who was just out for a night out being preyed upon by this individual and could really understand what had happened. But Patrick Ray continues to deny it to this day. He took it to trial. He went to trial and trial lasted five days and the jury took just over two hours to find him guilty. He was given life with a minimum of 20 years and is serving a sentence. A sentence for this murder as well or for his sex offence? Just for this murder. 
the Irish stuff probably been sorted out now, but it was just for this murder that he was given the life minimum 20 years. So he's now 10 years into that 20-year sentence. Patrick really sounds like a budding serial killer. Does he? Absolutely no question in my mind that if we hadn't got him at that time, he would have killed again. Was the knife ever found that she was stabbed with, was the inflatable? Wicked Willie was found. Wicked Willie was deflated and was found near the scene. But we never found the knife. The knife was never recovered. The 16-year-old boy who was found in the ditch, completely unrelated to this case, correct? Completely unrelated to the case, just a really unfortunate set of events. And the 14-year-old girl was traced. She was okay. All of that worked out all right. Um, She went missing again, which caused us even more problems later, but that resolved. What was Michelle's family's reaction after the arrest? I know they were very critical of your investigators at the beginning. Did that change at all? To be fair, you almost had two parts of the family. Michelle, who was very anti-police and obviously really struggling with the fact that she'd been on the night out with Mary and Mary had gone missing, so... All of that builds up. But her partner, her children, and that part of the family were actually really supportive. They would listen to what we had to say to them. They would understand what we were trying to do. And it was like they were having an out-of-body experience. It's like what was happening wasn't real. Even when we got to the point of trial, because of course... They're hearing what's happened to their mum. They're hearing the injuries that she has sustained. They're hearing everything that's happened in terms of the forensics and so on. You just got the impression that they just wanted it to stop. They were thrust into this situation where everybody knew that their mum was missing. Everybody knew that there was then a murder inquiry and all of this stuff was playing out. And it was happening in the full glare of the media and so on. And trying to protect the kids because the oldest child was 15. So acutely aware of everything that's going on. So it was really, really difficult for them. They were really gracious and really appreciative at the end, but they just needed to go home and be a family again. Sure. Sean, this case is clearly still so vivid for you. What about it makes it a case you'll never forget? The end of all of this, what you're left with is a family with three young children without their mother, you know, and and that's what all of this came down to. You had an individual that for whatever reason decided that that was the night that Mary was going to die. And then you have three young children, two of them were under eight, so we'll never really know their mum. And that's the sadness of it all. Those children are now growing up. And what they see when you look online is about their mum's death, you know, and that's that's not really fair for a young kid and for somebody growing up. Another bit that really made me sad at the time was where Mary was found. I could just about see that from my office. It was only about 100 yards from my office. And when I thought about the sort of week to 10 days that we had that we were just desperate to find her, I was driving past where she was every day. Didn't know. That didn't feel good. But she was just there, you know. I wish we we could have found her sooner, you know. Sean, what an extraordinary 
as Dave said, is really fantastic detective work. And we've often often said on this podcast that we have we hear a lot about um, what might be considered imperfect victims, right? People who maybe aren't straight-A students, who don't do everything right, who suffer from addiction and various things. But what's so striking about all the detectives we have on this podcast are none of that matters. People deserve justice no matter how they go through life. And I just think it's so important for people everywhere to hear that law enforcement who have their heart and soul and desires in the right place and do this job the right way and consider it a calling, you guys are amazing. It's what drives you, isn't it? It's about just making sure that you look after the people that can't look after themselves. That's it. I always found it to be a privilege. You guys will all be the same. You get asked throughout your career, why do you do it? What do you do it for? We're lucky. We can We can step up for the people that can't step up for themselves. We can look after those people who are vulnerable and not with the ability to look after themselves. That's the right thing to do, and that's what we're here for. In the 30 years that I did the job, never once considered myself a hero. It wasn't about that. It was about just being lucky to be able to do the job that I did. I loved, loved doing what I was doing. And yeah, it's difficult, and yeah, it's taxing, and you have nights that you can't sleep because you're mulling over everything that's gone that day, and you know you're going to have to get back into it again tomorrow, and you're really worried that you've missed something. But it's a privilege. It's an absolute privilege. And if somebody offered me to be able to do another 30 years, I would do it again, because it is one of the most privileged positions I think that you can ever be in, to be allowed to look after people and to protect those that need protected. Who wouldn't want to do that, you know? A hundred percent. Brilliant. Thank you so much for bringing that to us today. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for allowing me to talk about it. Thank you, Sean. Impressive detective work. Thank you. Small Town Dicks is produced by Gary Scott and Yardley Smith and co-produced by detectives Dan and Dave. This episode was edited by Logan Heftel, Gary Scott, and me, Yardley Smith. Our associate producers are Aaron Gaynor, The Real Nick Smitty, and Alec Cowan. Our music is composed by John Forrest. Our editors extraordinaire are Logan Heftel and Soren Bajan. And our books are cooked and cats wrangled by Ben Cornwell. If you like what you hear and want to stay up to date with the show, visit us on our website at smalltowndicks.com. Small Town Dicks would like to thank Speech Docs for providing transcripts of this podcast. You can find these transcripts on our episode page at smalltowndicks.com. And for more information about Speech Docs and their service, please go to speechdocs.com. And join the Small Town fam by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at Small Town Dicks. We love hearing from you. And if you support us on Patreon, your subscription will give you access to exclusive content and merchandise that isn't available anywhere else. Go to patreon.com slash smalltowndickspodcast. That's right. Your subscription also makes it possible for us to keep going to small towns across the country in search of the finest, rare, true crime cases told, as always, by the detectives who investigated them. So thanks for listening, small town fam. Nobody's better than you. 